Hello and welcome to The Case Files. I'm Kate Jabot and over the course of this podcast series, I'll be bringing you the true life stories behind some of the UK's most fascinating legal cases, all told with unparalleled access to the people and lawyers closest to events. In this episode, we'll hear from the women whose colleagues turned against them as their employer forced them to fight for equal pay. I never thought that they would betray us in the way they did. I never for a second imagined that we would be lied to, betrayed and made to feel as degraded and demoralised as we have. It's a journey that takes us into a draining battle with the company they'd worked at for decades. But you know you're right. You, you know, and I am right on this and, and we've got to fight back. It just rips you apart. I can't even describe the impact. It just destroys you. It destroys your life. And we'll investigate the prejudice which is driving companies and organisations around the country to break equality law. The root of it is undervaluing women and it's all about actually thinking that the work that women do is of less value and deserves less reward than the work that men do. So it isn't because women don't ask and it isn't because women don't negotiate their own pay well enough. They are systematically undervalued. We're inherently biased against valuing women properly. There's a saying that when men are oppressed, it's a tragedy. When women are oppressed, it's a tradition. And this is a case that evokes centuries of struggle. This edition of The Case Files is about the moment you realise that no matter what you do, no matter how much you give, some employers will never value a woman in the same way as the man standing next to her doing the same job. It makes you question, how can this be happening in the 21st century? And makes you think about your own work. Are you being valued the same as your colleagues? Our journey is going to take us into some dark places, with people driven right to the very edge. But we begin far away from that when you're right at the start of a career, searching for a job you can really give your energy and ideas to. I saw it as as my children were older, I thought, you know what, I want something, I, I, I want a career for myself. It, it was important to me, very important to me. It was evening work Becky Jarman was looking for. She was in her mid-twenties. The kids were four and six and her partner worked during the day. So she was delighted to find there were jobs going at a local distribution centre. I could probably walk to work within half an hour. I could drive to work. I'll be in work within five minutes. It is on my doorstep. If the kids ever needed me, my husband needed me to get home, I could be home in a minute, you know, which was a big benefit. Even better, this company, Wilco, the household goods chain, was a place you could see yourself working for a long time. A well-respected neighbourhood employer. A bit of a dream. You know, they wanted to, to employ not only you, but your sisters and your brothers and your mums and your dads. And they encouraged you to bring your family in. You'd have open days, get-togethers and celebrating. You could go upstairs and have a conversation with your managers. They supported you with any family issues. It was a good place to work. Becky's new workplace was in Magor, South Wales. Newport just up the road, the Severn Bridge and Bristol Channel not much more than a stone's throw away and the Wilco Depot, a hub of this community. 
It's a busy environment, a distribution centre. It's a male-dominated environment, you know, heavy lifting, heavy pushing, heavy pulling, busy manual work. My career started this. Over the years, Becky's career grew. And how dedicated were you to your job? Very dedicated. She knew every inch of the business. Every role, every corner, every shift. She earned promotions and moved up to become head of the training department and part of the management team. You know, my experience, my knowledge, HR qualifications. It's one of the best things about a career, feeling you're being rewarded for what you're bringing to a business. I was happy. And as you're absorbed in the rhythm and pace of it all, you might not have noticed that around you, things have been changing. It can be a bolt from the blue. So you've got your morning shift and you've got your afternoon shift coming in. We were all together at our desks. It was payday. My male colleagues were opening their pay slips in front of me. Two of them started bantering about their hourly rates of pay. Um, one of them saying that he had pence more than the other. This meant that he was better than him. And they were having a bit of a banter and a bit of a laugh. And I was sat at my desk and I remember suddenly hearing these hourly rates and thinking, that's, that's, that's not what I'm earning. I, I, at first I thought I'd heard it wrong so I, I carried on listening and then I said guys could, could you say that again I said what, what hourly rate are you on they both looked up they both told me what hourly rate they were on and I was, um, I was shocked really shocked three of these men I had helped bring into the building. I'd helped train them, supported them. I was reporting to my manager on their performance and I, I couldn't believe, I thought there was a mistake. So I tried to keep them into a conversation with me, was laughing with them, trying to keep them talking to me. And then I asked them, could I see their payslips? And uh, they, they both showed me. And how did that Phil, I mean, you, you were putting on a bit of a show, I suppose, that everything was OK, but I suppose inside you were probably horrified. I felt humiliated. I just couldn't, I couldn't understand why. Why, why are they paid more? I, I don't know. Um, I, I sat back at my desk and I, I really didn't know what to do. I came home, I was very upset. I spoke to my partner. My partner said, you've, you've, got, to, you've got to find out why. I went straight into HR and I said, I'm aware that um, my male colleagues are paid more than me and I'd like to know why four of the men were paid more than me out of the five. Wilco is a very large company and, like every employer, obliged to follow legislation regarding equal pay. It was confusion as well as frustration that took Becky to her managers and to HR. I went straight into HR were two people in there. I closed the door behind me and I, I was upset and I said how it had made me feel finding this out in the main office with my male colleagues and I said I want to know why. Bearing in mind at that time, you know, there was 15 years service that I'd given that business and three of these men had given two years. It's exactly the same job. It was exactly the same level. It was exactly the same grade. The national living wage had come in in 2016, 
where we had voted for a particular choice, put us all on the same pay bracket. So why was it that these four men were being paid more? And I was told that they would get back to me. And I also spoke to my immediate manager and, I, I you know, I'd like to know why this is. So what was the, the management's reaction? The management's reaction for two months was to stonewall me, um, told me that I wasn't to go to HR anymore with this. I was to speak to management. They were querying it with head office and that they would get back to me. And in that process, my career changed. In that short period of time, my career changed. I knew that I was... I was going to have a big fight on my hands, I knew. That's when it started, really. That is where the treatment started. This was really the moment Becky realised that what she'd given to her work over the years counted for very little. I got on very, very, very well with my senior managers, all men. They used to come in in the mornings. They used to call me Baxter. My name is Becky. They'd come in, they'd say, morning, Baxter, how are you? And, you know, I'd say morning and, you know, everything was great, everything was good. There was a, a time where one of the men who had shown me their pay slip, I'd gone back to him and I'd said, look, HR have got back to me and they've told me that you're not on more money than me. And I said to him, you and I both know that you are because you've shown me your pay slip. I said, so would you please be kind enough to give me a copy of your payslip or something to prove that you are on more money than me? Because I said, they're telling me that you're not. And he told me that he didn't want to speak to me anymore about it, that he just wanted to come into work um, and go home and have no trouble. He had a family and he wanted me to leave him alone. He was not prepared to talk about his pay with me anymore. Even the women... Even my female colleagues backed away from me. Well, did they see you as a troublemaker, did they? Yeah. And they wanted to keep their jobs. None of them wanted to get involved because they could see how I was being treated. You must have felt quite lonely at that time. Very lonely. It was awful going into work. Well, yeah, I, d I didn't want to go to work. What kind of reasons were you given? Reasons why you weren't being paid as much? So the first reason they gave me was um, they are not paid more than you. And I said, well, they are. I know they are. And they said, no, they're not. Then they told me that they were paid more than me, but they were doing more than me. So I asked, what are they doing? They couldn't tell me. Then they said that they were on more money than me because they were enticed into the building. You know, it, it, was, all, it was just all lies. Stonewalling and bullying. They were getting aggressive. The treatment meted out by her colleagues and management demonstrated something clear to Becky. This was no longer the same company she'd joined all those years before. It was a moment of realisation and she reflected on the creeping misogyny she'd noticed in recent years. In the main office there is a wall classed basically as the wall of fame, they call it. Pictures, framed pictures of the senior management team and there are no women in there. So I used to say to them, there's something missing from that wall. And my senior manager used to say to me, yeah, what's that? And I'd say, well, there's no women. There are no women up on that wall. And he used to tell me to up 
my effing game then, kid. That's what I was told. Wow. Yeah. How, how did that make you feel? I mean, what do you think the attitude was towards women? Absolutely shocking. You were only going to get where you are and you're not going to get any further. You were put back in your box. And when this started, it got worse and worse. I knew I was going to have a big battle on my hands and I knew that I wasn't going to be able to do it on my own. I knew I was going to need some support. So at the time, Julia was covering the night shift manager's role. So this one particular evening, I was on shift and I um, went to see her and I said to her, Julia, the men are paid more than us. Are you aware of that? And well, I was flabbergasted when you told me. That's the only way I can describe it. I was really upset, wasn't I? I um... Yeah, you were, yeah. And I said, right, well, I will look into it. You just wanted somebody to, to be there with you to question it, but I didn't even think twice about questioning it because, you know, we were well aware that there's preferential treatment given to men in the building. Like Becky, Julia Hanks was a senior and highly experienced employee at Wilco. I mean, you're talking a million square foot of distribution centre and I was responsible for the whole thing. They formed a close bond. How helpful was it for you to, to sort of team up and recognise you both had similar problems? Well, it was vital, really, because they were obviously ostracising Becky. And I couldn't even get a meeting with my management team to discuss anything. Because you were, you, were you were acting up, weren't you? You were temporarily... And they asked me in July if I would be able to cover my manager. It, I was still in role 18, 18 months later. And so the eight to ten weeks that was originally agreed stretched to 18 months. And throughout your time working there, the way men were treated, could you give some examples of the preferential way they were dealt with? Every single position that I had within that business, I have had to fight for. In fact, a senior, he was new into the business from Asda, and he had actually said to me he couldn't believe the scrapping attitude. He said, you girls, you, you're having to fight for everything. And I said... Yeah, absolutely. We've had to sit maths tests. We've had to do presentations. We've had to sit interviews where you're shortlisted and you get called back. But yet our comparators didn't sit maths tests, didn't do presentations, and one of them didn't even have an interview. He was just brought in. He had his job offer in a pub, apparently, when he was on a, a day out with them all. They all had a manager's day out and they said, oh, come and work for us. <laughs> you, you know, from the following day on, you fought back. We got together, we were talking on shift crossover and then we decided that we would query it informally. And then the minute I queried it, I started getting the same treatment as you did. We knew straight away then that, that it needed to go further. As Becky and Julia began a formal grievance procedure, the management refused to back down. It was a last resort and I begged them to just deal with it informally, but they wouldn't. And then the head of HR on one of our appeal meetings followed both myself and Becky into a room individually and said, if you pursue this, you will lose. They are paid the same as you you will lose. And I thought, well, actually, we've seen it in black and white. They are not paid the same. They are paid more. So don't, you know, you're stood in a room and somebody is threatening you. 
it, it just makes me want to fight back more. She said, if you pursue this, you are going to lose. And not only will you lose, you will lose a lot of money. She said, I am confident, I've looked at this, and I am confident that you do not have an equal pay case. And she said, if you try and repeat this conversation, I will categorically deny it took place. I took it as a message that to drop it or there will be consequences. I took it as a threat. You know, when someone keeps repeating something that you know is not true, did you actually at any point just start to doubt yourself? Yeah, yeah, I did. When that keeps going and going, you know you're going to question yourself. Becky did, I didn't. I had no doubt whatsoever that they were paid more. And meanwhile, Becky and Julia were still having to come to work every day and do their job. It took a heavy toll. The whole process had now been going on for month after month. And with both of them already in a dark place, Becky and Julia lost their jobs. I did carry on working. It was very, very difficult, but I did carry on working. Um, in the November, I had scheduled surgery that management knew that I was having. I, had, I went off, had my operation and I never went back. I was dismissed. And I'd say my life got very, very difficult from then on. With me, I went, I went sick in the December 2018. So it was 18 months you were working at this level and not being paid for it? Not being paid. Something just tipped me over the edge. And with everything going on, um, I went back into work a couple of weeks later. And then I came home in tears and my husband said, that's it. You're not, you're not coming home in tears anymore. It's not you. They, they dismissed me for my capability. And then when I said, look, you know, there's nothing wrong with my capability to do the job, the problem is, is that management's inability to treat me equally, they said your capability comes to the fact that you're not in work. That was it. You're listening to The Case Files podcast with me, Kate Chabot, investigating true life stories behind some of the UK's most fascinating legal cases. In today's episode, we're hearing from Becky Jarman and Julia Hanks and their battle for equal pay. It's now 50 years since the Equal Pay Act was passed, prohibiting unequal pay and working conditions between men and women. The foundations were laid by the strikes at the Ford car manufacturing plant in Dagenham in 1968, with MP Barbara Castle using her influence to get the legislation passed in 1970. It seems astonishing that half a century on, Becky and Julia found themselves taking legal proceedings against their employer, Wilco. When they approached Slater and Gordon employment lawyer Sarah Hexter, it was immediately obvious the situation had taken its toll. They were most definitely very emotional. They'd been through so much and, and both of them had worked for Wilco's for a very long time and I, I think that they were both just very uh, very taken aback by what had happened. They never thought that their employer would sort of turn, turn their back on them in, in this way. Just in your experience, how daunting is it for individuals to challenge a company like this in court? I think it, it's so daunting because you've, you you would surely would question, well, surely they can't be paying me less than men. You, you'd hope that employers would be paying males and females for doing the same work, the, the same rate of pay in this day and age. So surely I think that there would be a lot of sort of self-doubt in it and, and also sort of the, the stress involved in, in wanting to take it forward. It, it does take a lot to, to, to 
to bring a case forward. Becky and Julia were preparing to go to an employment tribunal to fight for equal pay. They engaged in early conciliation via ACAS. The employer didn't want to, to engage in that process, so then they had no other option but to issue an employment tribunal claim, and, and they did so within the timeframes as well. Um, so if an empl employee is still employed, then they can bring an employment claim in respect of equal pay at any point. But if an employee is no longer employed by an employer, then they have six months to, to engage in early conciliation. So what kind of a case did they have? So in terms of the, the equal pay, both claimants are bringing like work claims. What the claimants are claiming is that they were doing the same or broadly similar work to their male counterparts and were being paid less for doing that work. The, the reason that we, they were being paid less was because they were women. For Becky and Julia themselves, the tribunal was another battle on the horizon. Very, very stressful. You've just come out of Christmas. You've got no money. You've got children. You've got a partner. You've got no job. And you are facing another fight with them. You know, you, you're living on your nerves. You, 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 you're constantly anxious. You're constantly nervous. You're constantly worrying, frustrated, angry. You know, when you're feeling all these feelings all the time, it, you know, when you're fighting this big fight all the time and you're a victim of, of being discriminated against, it, it, it's, I've changed as a person. I'm not the person that I was. Julia, what about you? Um, when you were dismissed, um, how was it sort of at home trying to deal with this legal battle? It, it's been full on. We've had fantastic support from our, our union, from Slater and Gordon, but at home, you're just constantly prepping because we've always been brought up, you know, our work life was all about evidence. Every, everything's evidence-based. If you haven't got evidence, you've got nothing. And and we're constantly second-guessing. We, we're trying to get all our evidence together to make sure that, you know, we've got enough to, to prove that we were paid differently in, in the first instance, that we, we weren't paid equally. It's been time-consuming, it's been debilitating. Some days you just want to sit down and curl up in a ball and cry because you're just constantly fighting. As they were preparing, the women had the help of their colleague Paul McGuire. Paul had been working at the same Wilco depot in South Wales for a long time and is a convener for the GMB trade union. He'd supported Becky and Julia at work and was now readying himself to help at their tribunal. If I did not genuinely believe there was grounds to what they were saying... I would never have done it, but it felt so right, it had to be done. We're not about point scoring, we're not trying to win one over anyone. We would wish companies would just sit down, have proper frank conversations with us. Let's resolve it. Let's not make people go through tribunals. It's not good for the companies, it's not good for the company name, and that's not what we'd like to do. As we know, the conversation didn't pair fruits. You had to go to tribunal and you decided to actually appear there. How difficult was that decision? Did you have doubts about your own future by doing so? Yes, it was a case of I didn't know if I was still being a job. I didn't know if the company would perceive that as potentially a gross misconduct. Although obviously I'm offered some protection for doing my trade union duties. You don't know what's going to happen tomorrow or the next day after. It's, it's obviously a lot of pressure, yes. I've not gone through nothing compared to what those two women have gone through. But 
just doing it in support. It's a lot of pressure. You do worry about your own position. You do worry about the consequences. Yeah. What was it like actually appearing at the tribunal? What was it like on the day? It was very daunting. Obviously, I'm sat with Rebecca and Julia and opposite sat to us is people I work with every day from a professional point of view, senior people within the company. Yeah. And obviously going through my head is what's going to happen tomorrow when I'm back in work as normal? Is there going to be consequences? The, the employment tribunals are more of a uh, sort of a classroom environment and you have the employment judge and two lay people and then you have the other side solicitor and um, barrister and any witnesses for the other side. A claimant would attend with their barrister if they're legally represented and, and they'd be called to the stand to give evidence and they, they would be cross-examined by the other side's barrister. Is it quite a tense atmosphere or is it fairly relaxed? It is a, it's a tense atmosphere, especially the sort of the, the legal process. It's it's not going to be informal. Essentially, you're there fighting a legal case, and and you, you're going to be emotional about it. It's a very personal thing, um, and it's just about sort of seeing the end goal and, and and fighting for what you know is right. So, in support of Julia and Rebecca, I put my own statement in, and I took the stand as well. Luckily for myself, I wasn't on the stand as long as I was expecting to be. You know, when you're sat there in front of a judge, in front of the panel, in front of your senior work colleagues, who are you going to be working with the next day? And there you were, sticking up for these two women. And what about Wilco when they were there? I mean, what happened with them at the tribunal? Quite disappointingly, no one involved in the process, informally or from a formal point of view, took the stand in support of the company. And when did you find that out? Um, I found out on the day. I was very surprised. So... From a Wilco point of view, there was a, a member of management who took the stand who also put a statement in. The person who took the stand had no involvement in any of the process. So what they were stating when they took the stand was what they had been told and hearsay. I couldn't believe that they were actually taking it forward because from from my perspective, they had absolutely no grounds to, to do so. I mean, what could they possibly justify that the women being paid less than the men when arguably the women had more experience than the men in those roles and, and the women had been working for the company for a lot longer as well. And, and I just couldn't believe that the, the company were going to sort of make it more difficult for the, the claimants and, and not approach them and, and try and resolve the issue. And what was their defence? The, the employer raised a material factor defence and they said that the reason for the disparity in pay was because the men were paid more to entice them from into the business. So they were external candidates and they were paid more to, to join the company. Can you do that? Are you allowed to do that? It's very difficult to sort of justify it. And, and clearly in this case, they didn't have any evidence to show that that was the, the genuine reason as to why they were paid more. I believe that the claimants actually were um, training them at some point to, and helping them, supporting them in their role. So it, it's unbelievable, really. With the tribunal finally over, everyone was waiting for the judgment. So I was driving home from work and I had a phone call off Rebecca and Julia. So on the hands-free, obviously. Uh, yeah, I think there was lots of shouting and cheering when we had the results. Getting that, getting that kind of news while you were driving must have been a bit ris risky. Could you manage to keep your eyes on the road? Yeah, I managed to get home okay and a few gins that night. <laughs> I bet you did. They have found in the employment tribunal that the women were being paid less than their male counterparts doing the same work as department leaders 
that the reason that we, they were being paid less was because they were women. But although Becky and Julia won their equal pay claim, their fight is not over. It's taken two and a half years to get to this stage, but there are other elements to their legal claim, and Wilco have refused to settle, which means the women will receive no money until the other elements of their claim are resolved. There's also an equal value aspect whereby the claimants are saying that they were doing work of equal value to their male counterparts. Um, so we're in the current process of, of pursuing that equal value aspect at the moment. There's also the discrimination element, so the sex discrimination and the victimisation. There's also an element of disability discrimination as well. Um, and then the, the ultimate, the, the unfair dismissal claim. So there's a lot going on. It's a very complicated claim and, and it, it has taken a very long time to get to this stage but but the the claimants have done so well to to get to this stage wilco obviously are, are fighting this they haven't settled out of court what are they saying about it but Wilkos have just taken a, a blanket view on this and, and they're just defending it. It hasn't gone well for them so far. Um, you'd hope that they wouldn't take this stance, especially given how much the claimants have already gone through. But there's no way of sort of knowing what, what they're going to do or, or whether they're going to approach to settle it. It would, be, it would be such a lovely thing for them to do that so that both of my clients could finally put this to bed and, and move on with their lives. How how are you cope, how are you coping with it all? I'm not. I'm not is probably the answer to that. I am not coping with it. It is the first thing you think of in the morning and it is the last thing you think of at night. Being the victim of discrimination is emotionally and psychologically painful and it consumes you. It consumes you. You to to have all this anger and this hurt and and frustration and upset and all these feelings bring you down. I mean, I'm under a psych psych. Um, I can't even say it. So I'm under a psychiatrist. Um, I never thought I would say that. Never. But I'm under under a psychiatrist. Um, I'm on pretty strong medication. Um, I've had counselling, regularly see my doctor. It, I mean, you know, it's taken away our careers, destroyed our lives. It's taken away our pensions. It's taken away your belonging. I've always been very independent. I've never had to ask anyone for anything. I've always worked all my life and I've always been very independent. To go from that to not being independent is hard. You know, to have to ask for help, you know, financially, emotionally, anything, it's hard. And can you work now, Becky? Where, where are you at with that? Do you know, I don't feel that I can make a clear decision with my mind the way it is. Because this is this battle, this fight that we've picked with this business is consuming. It's all the time. It's every day. There's not a day that goes by that I'm not on the phone to Julia 
sometimes two, three times a day or she's on the phone to me. And we're the only ones, we've only got each other and we're the only ones, I think, that understand how each other feels. I try and compartmentalise and, and try and not think about it in between. But it's so, so difficult, the, the stress that it's put us under. I mean, I'm, I'm, not a, I'm not a stressful person. I'm very calm. I'm good under pressure. But it has literally, it's, it's broken me. I'm not the person I was two years ago. Definitely not. Um, it's affected everything. You've had to seek counselling, haven't you? Becky's ongoing with counselling. I've had counselling. If this goes on, well, it is going to go on and I think I'm going to need some more because it just rips you apart. I can't even describe the impact it has. I mean, my husband, I, I'm surprised he's, he's not divorced me over it. And it must be costing you financially as well. Yeah, well, we've got no income. The impact that it's had on us financially is just, well, you go from earning a wage to nothing. And, you know, there's there's nothing that you can do about it. Luckily, you know, both our husbands are working. We're not, you know, if it wasn't for that, we, we, well, we just wouldn't manage. It's just, it just destroys you. It destroys your life. But you know you're right. You, you know, and, and I've said all along, I am right on this. If I thought for one minute that this wasn't the right course of action, I wouldn't even be doing it. I wouldn't do it to myself and I wouldn't do it to Becky and I wouldn't do it to my family. But it, it, it is right. It's the right thing to do. And, and we've got to fight back. It could be a long time before Becky and Julia's battle is over. I asked Paul Maguire why he thought Wilco decided to continue to fight the case. The only answer I can give to that, and I have thought about this quite a lot, the only answer I can think of to that question is, is that they hope that the person would give up. The stress involved, the potential spiralling legal costs. Luckily, as members of the GMB, they've had their legal fees paid. People who weren't a trade union member may not be in that position. They may not have been able to have the financial support, the just the mental support where we've been there for them. And how much can it cost someone? How costly is it to bring this kind of claim? Basically, the cost that could be involved could be what decides if somebody went through with making that claim or not. It's still an ongoing case. The, the costs are spiralling. I can understand if people didn't have the strength to go through the whole process. It's very daunting. It does come across as if all the odds are stacked against you. I mean, from your experience, what kind of general advice could you give? I mean, what would you like to say to companies like Wilco's, but other companies as well, who are in a similar situation about how it could be handled better? It's quite simple. Just sit down and talk. I've opened frank conversations. It's not about point scoring. It's not about trying to win one over a company. It's about recognising where the problems are. Let's sit down. Let's talk about it identify the issues and let's resolve it. Uh, a lot of these companies, and it's not Wil just Wilco, it's a lot of equal pay claims going on. They just seem to rather drag it through the courts, put team members through stress. Let's just sit down, let's talk about it, let's resolve it. How big a problem, how widespread do you think the issue of equal pay is? Across the retail sector, it is a phenomenal issue at the moment. There's a lot of uh, claims going in. I've, I've started to see adverts online where uh, legal companies are trying to get 
team members to sign up. So it is definitely gaining momentum and it's definitely an issue that needs to be spoken about. The experiences of Becky and Julia are sadly not unique. The UN has found that globally, women only make 77% of the wages that men earn, leading to a lifetime of income inequality between men and women. And equal pay is still a major issue in the UK. The Fawcett Society campaigns for women's rights. Its origins are in the Suffrage Society, founded in London in 1867. 150 years on, as Chief Executive Sam Smethers told me, injustice remains. We've got problems everywhere. We're not alone in this. Um, and globally, I think the estimation is it's going to take 200 years to close the gender pay gap. You know, in the UK before COVID, it was about 58 years. We're probably adding decades to that right now as a result of COVID. So I am really concerned that we're we're going backwards. What, what, you, you said that it might turn the clocks back um, in terms of uh, the position of women, the pandemic. Why and how? Well, a number of factors, really. One is um, we're seeing an increase in female unemployment. Women have been more likely to lose their jobs so far as a result of this COVID um, recession. Um, and that's because they're disproportionately in low paid precarious work. They're more likely to be working in shutdown sectors. So, you know, it's where they work and the types of jobs that they do make them more at risk. Um, we're also seeing that unequal impact of caring roles. Um, and we're, so we're particularly worried about maternal employment. Um, and we think that that's going to go backwards. So we were at 75% maternal employment rate just before COVID hit. And it took 20 years to get from 66% to 75%. So I think we are going to see that progress unravel in the next few months. I predict we are going to get a wider gender pay gap and we are going to see equality for women going backwards in the next six to 12 months. But that's why we need interventions to, to address that. And why do you think that there is still an issue over equal pay? Where does this injustice come from? What's the root of it? Well, the root of it is undervaluing women. And it's all about actually thinking that the work that women do is of less value and uh, deserves less reward than the work that men do. Um, and that goes back to unpaid care work and the unpaid domestic work that women do in the home. That then translates into the way we perceive women in the workplace and whether it's a caring role at work or whether it's any other role, they are systematically undervalued. So it isn't because women don't ask and it isn't because women don't negotiate their own pay well enough. Often we tend to sort of blame the women and say, well, she should ask and she doesn't. It's actually because we're inherently biased against valuing women properly and that's what we need to tackle. And how stressful are cases when you bring an equal pay case? Well, they're incredibly stressful for the individual woman um, and actually for everyone around her. You know, it's a family. Uh, and if she's trying to hold on to a job at the same time, then it affects her relationships at work, which is why often they, they can't stay. You know, they, they feel they have to go because it just becomes too difficult to, to maintain their, their job uh, in that situation. And I think a lot of women would, would describe it effectively, they become a bit of a pariah. You know, they, they're, they're kind of ostracised by colleagues and it, it just becomes... Uh, just too difficult for them to just sustain their kind of normal lives. So it really does disrupt everything. And then, you know, you, it becomes a job in itself, the all-consuming nature of fighting an equal pay claim and what that actually requires. And I think you know, that it's what puts so many women off. And that's why so many cases don't get pursued or maybe women walk away or they get settled quietly uh, because they just don't feel they can deal with it. To help women like Becky and Julia avoid legal disputes, the Fawcett Society would like to see a change to equality law, the right to know what your colleagues are earning. 
at the moment, you've got a right to equal pay, but you've got no right to know what your male colleagues are earning. So it's a bit of a meaningless right. Obviously, you have to know equal to what. It's just illogical to have a right to equal pay without access to the information. So the way it works now is that you have to go to a tribunal to get full disclosure. The employer can just basically refuse to give you the information unless the tribunal is, is requiring them to disclose it, which forces women into that really invidious position of having to go all that way to a tribunal when they probably would prefer not to. So um, it's a very simple proposition is that if you suspect that you're being paid unequally, so perhaps someone mentioned something to you informally, perhaps you just observe that you think somebody is probably getting more than you, but you don't really know, you can make a request. It would be an enforceable right to, to make that request. The employer would have a period of time to respond and would have to provide the information. So to be clear then, if a woman suspects that her male colleague doing the same job is being paid more, they have the right to ask, but it's at the employer's discretion to give that information. Yeah, and often people don't think they've got the right to have that information at all. I mean, sometimes you can have clauses written into contracts which prohibit people talking about pay. Um, there's genuinely a confusion uh, into in, in workplaces as to whether you're even allowed to discuss it. Um, and actually, of course... You are. You know, the Equality Act says you are allowed to discuss and disclose pay if you suspect discrimination. So it is, it is protected as a right to talk about, but it still isn't clear to individuals in workplaces. So what should you do if you suspect that colleagues may be earning more than you for the same work? I asked lawyer Sarah Hexter. My guidance would be to, to try and do it informally initially, maybe speak to your manager or HR and, and say that you, you, you've got these suspicions and, and you want to sort of question it, raise it informally and, and see if there's something that can be resolved. Because more often than not, an, an apology, uh, holding up your hand and saying, look, we've got it wrong. We're really sorry about that. Uh, we'll re rectify the issue. Then, then surely that would be a much better position for an employer to take than for employees to have to face a legal battle. And ultimately, it's against your employer. It's, it's such a sensitive thing. And then if you do get stonewalled, as in this case, then what do you do? There's no easy way out, really. They, they've had to take the, the legal battle um, and, and they, they're still pursuing it. So th there's no way of otherwise sort of pursuing it unless you sort of back down and, and accept defeat. Certainly in Becky's case, she wanted to know for sure when she was told um, that the men were not being paid more than her, uh, she wanted proof. Where does the law stand on that? Can, can you ask to see someone's payslip you you can ask to to see payslips but it's very much an, an individual sort of decision if they want to show them to you um in terms of discussing pay in in an employment environment you can't just have sort of general chit chats in the, the the canteen if there's no real purpose for it if if that's said within your employment contract so usually there are confidentiality restrictions under an employment contract not to discuss terms of pay and um, however if it's for the purposes of determining whether you're being paid less than a, a counterpart for doing the same work then that is permitted so an employer can't sort of um, treat you any differently for, for raising those concerns. And what about other women in the same position as Becky and Julia? I asked Paul McGuire what the latest situation was with Wilco. Well, all I can say is I hope that no other women have to go through exactly the same as Julia and Rebecca have. I really hope the company opens his eyes, sits down with us and resolves it. From the evidence I've seen, 
I believe there could be potentially outstanding cases that need to be resolved. Now, I could understand if those people were scared about coming forward. Let us go to the company and say, look, we've already won this one case. Sit down, talk about it. Let's fix it. What response have you had when you've gone to management and tried to talk about these kind of issues? What do they do? Basically, that's all you hear about it. Um, and I have said to the company on several occasions in consultation meetings, this is your opportunity to resolve any outstanding historic equal pay issues. Those people are still on more money than their counterparts. And what response do you get? No movement at all. This is my personal opinion, but if you don't stand up for, for what you think is right, then I think eventually it would start eating away at you. I, I appreciate that people wouldn't want to, to take it forward if they've got other concerns, other things going on. But from a sort of a moral standpoint, both of these individuals have, have worked extremely hard and they've been so brave to take it forward. And I hope that other people will, will see this and, and pluck up the courage to, to take it forward. And what of Becky and Julia themselves? What's next for them? Well, for me, it's all about um, getting my self-esteem back. Um, I'm doing online courses through, through Careers Wales. I've got a, a part-time job that I'm hoping to go back to. But that's nothing on the, on the scale or the level of what we were functioning on before. You know, so it, I, I would like to see myself in, in another 12, 18 months back in full-time employment back in a job that where I'm managing a team of people and I actually enjoy going to work you know I want that for myself I, I don't want this to break me to the point where I can't fully function in a job role again but I couldn't do it now it's I, I just need to get this over with we need to fight this battle and then we need to move on from there but I would like to see myself back at that level enjoying my job and and just being the old me just being the person that I was two, three years ago. I just want that for myself. And I'm worth that. I am worth that. And for me, I guess that I would like to think that after this experience, I'm going to be able to put it into something positive and productive by maybe helping other women. Because that's what I'd like to do now, is I think I'd like to be involved in some kind of charity or something where I can help other women take on these businesses that think it's right to pay men and value men more than women. Or, or you know what, vice versa, vice versa. It's not right. We're equal. We're the same. It shouldn't be happening. People shouldn't be discriminated against for their sex. Thanks again to Sarah Hexter, employment lawyer at Slater & Gordon, Sam Smethers from the Fawcett Society and Paul Maguire from the GMB Union for sharing their experience of this case. And thanks especially to Julia Hanks and Becky Jarman for telling their story. If you want to know more about this or other episodes of The Case Files, have a look at the website slatergordon.co.uk forward slash podcast or head over to our social media channels and search hashtag casefilespod and join the conversation. In our next episode, we'll hear about the extraordinary case that put veganism on the front pages around the globe and changed UK law. Subscribe now to hear that story. I'm Kate Chabot. Thanks for listening. Bye-bye.